ourselves at all we are needy needy people and we try to fill that need in lots and lots of ways and they let us down over and over and over so we show up here Sunday after Sunday saying Lord I did it again I tried to find my satisfaction in something else other than you I tried to find something that would heal my hurt that would help me with my pain that would give me a sense of how this world works and and it let me down again Father, I repent of that, and I'm sorry. But I'm here, and Lord, I'm here to say again, knowing that you're a gracious God, and that you answer prayer, Lord, I need you. And that is why we're here. At least that's why I'm here. And I, I don't say that to be pat myself on the back. Uh, man, some weeks are just, you wish you could have a do-over. But I'm glad it's Sunday, and I'm glad that I can be here with you. I'm glad that you are here as well, if you're visiting with us, we certainly want you to let us know that you're visiting. If you're online, there's a link in the description below the video you can click on. If you're here with us, you should find a, a blue card somewhere in the pew. If you just fill that out, drop in the offering plate on the way out. We'd love to know that you were here with us. A um, couple of announcements. First of all, tonight we do have a business meeting at 6.30. And I will remind you that this is a meeting for all the church members. And it is your right as a member, your responsibility, and your privilege to participate in these meetings. So I want to encourage you to make every effort to attend. Finally, we're going to have a youth fundraiser lunch today. So if you have, don't have plans for lunch, or if you can cancel the plans that you had, maybe put whatever you cooked in the freezer, uh, join our youth in the fellowship hall today. And if you brought a white shirt, they'll be glad to get spaghetti sauce on it for you. We're going to have spaghetti, chicken spaghetti, sides, and desserts. And any donations that you put in the box at the front of the line will go toward helping to pay for costs related to their summer retreat, which is coming up here in a few weeks. So uh, that's a matter of announcement and also a matter of prayer that that is going to be uh, coming up. And so pray for the youth summer retreat for the leaders, for the youth. And uh, I think that's all I have in terms of announcements. Is there any other announcements that need to be made at this time? Anyone? Okay. Well, all right. Um, this morning we're going to do a call to worship. It's going to be a responsive reading. So I would ask for you to go ahead and stand. I'll read what's on the left when it says reader. Hopefully you can see that. And uh, when it says all, we will read it all together. And this all comes from Psalm 86. All right, starting on the left side. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. And shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And all of us again. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Jesus. Let's worship the Lord together. fact that you would die on a cross so that by your blood we could have the grace that we need to walk and to glorify you. God, we pray that this morning that you would overwhelm us in this place as we worship your name alone. i 
The children will come for the children's sermon. Good morning. Do any of you guys like to swim? Huh? Yes. You all know how to swim? No? He's scared of the water. So, is anybody a little bit scared of the water? I'm totally scared of the water. You're really scared of the water? A little bit. A little bit? Because I'm not that good a swimmer. Oh. I'm Tara. I can kind of swim. You can kind of swim? Well, do any of you wear um, a life preserver, a lifesaver, or floaties not anymore good for you some of you but when you at the deep end that okay well I was uh, at the Texas coast really whatever <laughs> uh, I was at the Texas coast yesterday and I was watching the waves in the ocean and I was thinking about how uh, when I was little, um, I remember being a little scared of the water and almost drowning, and um, somebody threw a lifesaver to me, and it reminded me of a story in the Bible. I'm gonna, I asked James if he would sing a verse out of one of my very favorite songs, and I know y'all are going to recognize it, so you might want to sing along with him. And listen to the words of this song, okay? Mm-hmm. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. the master of the seas, the master of the whole universe. But it reminded me of the story of just after Jesus preached his most famous sermon ever. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. There were so many people gathered around him and he, he told the disciples, let's get in the boat and go out away from the crowds. And so 
They did. They went out in the middle of the sea, and Jesus went to sleep. And a huge storm came up, and it was rocking the boat, and it was raining, and the disciples were scared to death because they thought they were going to drown. So they went, and they woke Jesus up, and they said, Master, we're, gonna, we're all going to die. And he said, Oh, men of little faith, what are you scared of? And so Jesus got up and he... What? Yes. So he calmed the storm and the waves. And basically, he was their lifesaver. So this morning... I want to give each of you a lifesaver to remember that Jesus Christ saves us from drowning. Not just not in the water, but when we're drowning in sin, in all of the, um, the badness of our lives, Jesus Christ throws us a lifesaver and saves us. Who can catch? Can you catch? Oh. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ is our lifesaver. So every time you go to the store, ask your mom or dad to buy you lifesavers. <laughs> and uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> All right. Um, you guys remember that Jesus is not only the life saver, but the life giver. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, bring you to life, and to believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we are not without hope. That when we are drowning in sin, you are the master of the sea. That you throw a lifesaver to us with your love. And we are redeemed. Thank you, Father. Amen.
was some way that only mankind could have done it. And every time the children of Israel went through something great that God had delivered them through, they set up an Ebenezer, a stack of stones, so that when someone came that way, they would say, something happened here. So this is saying, this morning, God, we raised this Ebenezer. We are going to stack stones in a way that when the world sees us, they know that you've done something great. Let's sing this together.
you are great and greatly to be praised. We come to you this morning confessing again, Father, that we need you desperately. As Shannon said earlier, that I agree that there are weeks that I wish I could just have a do-over. That in my own flesh and my own power, I just utterly fail. But God, we thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. We thank you that even in the midst of doing our own thing, you're still God. And in your overwhelming mercy and love, you fetter us to your heart. So God, that's why we've sang to you this morning, that you are a great, great, great God. And we will continue to sing and continue to say and continue to obey like you are a great God. Let Shannon's words drip with the blood of the gospel this morning. Convince us of sin and overwhelm us with your love. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. Amen. Good singing this morning. Those are some fantastic songs. If you would please take your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of John, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible today with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. Um, If you'll take that and flip to the back of the Bible and find page 79, you'll be at John chapter 8. Uh, We're going to read together, consider John chapter 8, verses 30 through 47. We're still in our series entitled, Getting Lost. The title of this morning's sermon is, when we talk about it, it's talking about being lost. How being lost binds and blinds. That's going to be kind of the back and forth in this text. You kind of see, you'll hear the word binds or bound over and over when you hear the word blind or blinds over and over. Because this is what Jesus is talking about in the text. He's talking to a group of people, trying to convince them that they're lost. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is John chapter 8, verses 30 through 47, and this is God's Word. As He was saying these things, many people believed in Him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the father your de- of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God, words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we let these verses speak to us this morning, pray that it would be not just simply words, but words in power. Words that can penetrate dark hearts, that can bring dead hearts, dead lives to life. Lord, unless you move today, nothing of any sort of importance will happen. But we trust that you want to move in our midst today. So, Lord, guide me and guide us as we seek to be molded into the image of Christ and brought under the umbrella of the cross through the preaching of this word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, we've been going through a series called Getting Lost. Not talking about losing your way, not knowing where you are on the map, left your phone at home and the GPS, but you can't use it because you don't have the phone. That's, that's not the kind of loss we're talking about. We're talking about a person who is spiritually lost. So over the course of these weeks, we've determined what does lost actually mean. Well, we had to go all the way back to the beginning. We saw where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And because of Adam's sin, then we are under the umbrella of his sin. He was our representative He was standing in our stead when he disobeyed. It was as if we were right there with him. And so we are guilty of that same sin and we are under the same punishment, which is wrath and death. Not only are we dead, are we destined to death physically, but we are also dead spiritually. When Adam sinned and Eve sinned at that very moment, they didn't die physically, they died spiritually. But it goes deeper than that. When we talk about being spiritually dead, we're talking about humankind having what we could call radical moral corruption. It means that it's not they're, that they're completely bad or as bad as they could be, not capable of good, even having some thoughts about God. It's that they are so radically and morally corrupt that they can do nothing of their own in order to present themselves acceptable toward God. Nothing they can do. We also discovered last week that being lost means that you are unwilling and unfriendly and unable. We're unwilling to know or seek God or to love Him or to obey Him. We're unfriendly toward Him in that we are actually, when we're, when we're lost, we're hostile toward Him. We kind of see that in the text today when, when these people, Jesus says, you want to kill me. It's not that they were just unwilling to obey. They were unfriendly toward Jesus even to the point of hostility. And because of that, Lost people are unable to know God, seek God, love God, and obey God. And really, in this way, they're unable because they are unwilling and unfriendly toward God. We can see that here in this text. But we're also going to go and look at inability from another perspective. So we're still sort of talking about the last, um, 
word that, that I kept using over and over, unwilling, unfriendly, unable. We're going to talk about that inability this morning. We're going to look at it from another perspective. Last week we looked at it at sort of a human perspective. Now we're going to look at it more in a spiritual perspective. I want to put this verse up on the screen. It's John chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. And I think it helps us to understand what's going on in this morning's sermon, morning's, this morning's text. It reads, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, this light, of course, we understand, it's Jesus Christ. And it says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, that's talking about lost people in general. That Jesus was the creator of the world, he came into the world, and people who were created by him did not recognize him for who he really was. But then John goes a step further, and he says, he came to his own What he means by that is he came to the Jewish people, to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Okay, so what John's saying, it's not just the whole world that's lost. It was God's own people that were lost apart from Christ. So in this morning's text, what we see here in Jesus' conversation is that he is speaking with people, speaking to people who are lost. And they think they're saved. And he's trying to convince them of their lostness and of their need for him. He's trying to show them that their lostness has bound them and has blinded them to the truth of their actual condition. Jesus says you're bound. You're bound by half-truths. Now a half-truth in this instance is, we find it in verse 31. I'm sorry, uh, verse 33. They said, we are the offspring of Abraham. So Jesus, back up just for a second, just to make sure something's clear here. Jesus says in, in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth has set you free. And so Jesus is telling these people, You know some truth, but you're not my disciples. And the only way you're going to become my disciples is to not just believe right things, but to abide in that truth, to to commit it to your heart and to put it into practice where your heart is changed. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they respond, and, and Jesus is telling the absolute truth. There's kind of a back and forth in this text between Jesus telling the truth and they said, no, this is our truth. And this is their truth, but it's a half-truth. We are the offspring of Abraham. Now, let me ask you a question. Nod your head, give me a thumbs up. Is this the truth? Is this the truth, what they have responded? Absolutely. They are the offspring of Abraham. They are the physical offspring of Abraham. So when they say, and again, this is true, but it's only half true. It's missing the other half. I'll get to that in a moment. It is true. They are the offspring of Abraham, but only according to the flesh. They are true physical descendants of Abraham, but they're not spiritual descendants of Abraham. That will make more sense in a minute. So their half truth that they're believing is we are the offspring of Abraham. Again, come back in a minute. But the second half-truth that they're believing is we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, isn't that just one of the most ironic things they could say? 
Can anyone in here think of times that Israel was enslaved in the Old Testament? Of course, Egypt, Babylon. And I think there's some irony about what about at this point in their history? Now, they're not enslaved, but are they truly free? No, they're under the dominant hand of the world's strongest superpower, the Roman Empire. So they're not really free. But see, Jesus is not talking about physical slavery. He's talking about spiritual slavery. See, they think they're free, but they're not free. And because they're bound by these half-truths, here's where the, the being bound and being blind, these kind of go together. They're kind of different sides of one coin. Because they're bound by half-truths, Jesus says, you're blind to the lies. Here's where this all begins to come together. A half-truth can lead to a faulty conclusion. And in this case, this half-truth is in fact a deadly lie. And here's the lie. That being born makes you, being born an Israelite saves you. See, this is the lie they're believing. That being born an Israelite saves you. And Jesus is trying to tell them, being born an Israelite does not save you. Now, lest you think I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth, he spent three years with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says in three different places in Galatians, and one place in Romans, uh, basically the same thing. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Do you begin to see the half-truth? Galatians 3.16 Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then Galatians 3.29 If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Again, in Romans 9.6-8, Paul writes... But it is not as though the word of God had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. What he's saying there is not all the physical Israel who are the physical sons of Abraham are of the true Israel, which is the spiritual sons of Abraham. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as offspring. So the half-truth is that, well, we're saved because we're Israelites. But, the, but there's, there's a lie there. They, they really are the physical sons and daughters of Abraham. But they're not the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. And so on that count, Jesus says, you're blind to this lie. You are not free. And again, Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom. He's telling these people who think they're saved, they're lost, that they're not free. Jesus also tells them, you are bound by sin. He says it in this way in verse 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now again, this word practices, he's not talking about, you know, we all You've done it this week. We'd all, if we could pass a microphone around the room, you could talk about how you have fallen short of the glory of God this week. You have, you have not served Him well. You have, there's been sinful points in your life. And 
And those things sometimes, just because of the ongoing sanctification process in our lives, we're always going to be growing. And so we're prone to sin. But there's a difference between a proneness to sin and just someone who's saying, yeah, I'm I'm going to practice sin. I'm going to make it my practice to act in this way. And Jesus says everyone who practices sin, not just people that are prone to sin, but everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So he's talking about, again, when he says the word practices, he's talking about willing participation. You're not a victim here. No one is holding a gun to your head and making you sin. When he uses the word slave, sometimes that has a negative connotation to it, but this is the right word to use right here. A slave does not have freedom. But notice in this, in the way that Jesus is talking about slavery, it's not like they have been sold into slavery like what they would have understood in Babylon or Egypt, something like that. He's talking about that they are willingly, freely, and voluntarily putting themselves in bondage to sin. In insofar as they are practicing sin. A good way to think about it, a parallel that I think is, is, is helpful, is thinking about an addict. Someone who says, you know, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hooked on this. I can get free at any time. But yet they can't live without it. They eventually come to a point where they discover this thing has its hooks in me and I, I can't get loose. Now there's a, a double side here. There's the willing participation. There's the voluntary participation. But it becomes slavery. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. If you voluntarily commit sin, you are a slave to it. All right. John in his first epistle kind of helps us to understand even more what Jesus is talking about. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of God. Now it's not <laughs> the whole world including Abraham's physical descendants. The whole world. Is bound by sin and lies in the power of the evil one. You're bound by sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But then sons, not slaves, are part of the family. Now again, when Jesus says um, in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever, what he means by that is that a slave has no family connection. So if a person is a slave to sin, how can they claim to be a son of Abraham? A a spiritual son of Abraham. That's the point Jesus is making. A slave has, has no family connection. Only a son has a family connection. So, if you're a slave to sin, then you're not truly a spiritual son to God. To become, I'm sorry, to become a son of God, you have to be set free from your slavery to sin. That's why Jesus says in verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They may not consider themselves physically enslaved at the time, but they are spiritually enslaved. And they, the only one that can set them free is Jesus. Jesus tells them, you're blind to your lostness. Because you're bound by your sin, you're blind to your lostness. We see that in the text, and I've already brought it up. How they are at enmity with God. Now when I use that word enmity, I use it on purpose. 
ought to make us think all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Where in the curse, when God curses the serpent, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. What does He mean by that? He means that there's going to be this ongoing spiritual war manifested in this physical world. It's, 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 you've seen it all throughout history as it relates to Israelite people. When things are going badly for them, you can for sure factor in in one way or another, whether physically or spiritually or both, that there is this ongoing war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. We see this in the text. Jesus is basically telling them that the seed of the serpent is at enmity with God. You are the children of Abraham physically, but you're the seed of the serpent spiritually. And the evidence of that is you're trying to kill me. Verse 37, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. Jesus says to them, you're bound by your dead belief. Bound by your dead belief. Verse 39. They answer him. You see there's this back and forth. Jesus tells the truth. No Jesus we have an answer for that. They answered him. Abraham is our father. But I want you to notice. Jesus is really going to hammer on this here. That having beliefs. Is not the same thing. As having faith. Having beliefs. Is not the same thing. As having faith. God rewarded Abraham's faith, not his doctrinal statement. Inactive belief is different than active faith. So even in the the James' epistle in the New Testament, he says, even the demons believe. And it produces something in them. It's not an active faith. It says that they shudder. They see that the truth that they believe, it's real. It has power. Having, the, having beliefs isn't the same as having faith. And, and they have beliefs. They say, we're the offspring of Abraham. Abraham is our father. Later on, they'll say, we have one father, even God. They have beliefs. But because the evidence shows that they are at enmity with God, they are revealing themselves to be the seed of the serpent, even though they have orthodox beliefs. Because they're bound by their dead belief, Jesus says you're blind to works of faith. What I mean by a work of faith is this. It's a work that is based on the belief that you have. And it's going to require faith in order to do that work. We see it in Abraham's life. In fact, Jesus says... Abraham's works of faith showed that he belonged to God. Remember, Abraham was told, take your family, your possessions, leave this place and go to a place that I will show you. God, I don't have all the information I need. Can I get a cost analysis here? Can I get some sort of worksheet that's going to help me figure out whether this is a good investment or not? Faith. Got up. Left. Even sacrificed the son of promise. Was, had the knife up ready to, to plunge it into him and sacrifice. It was those types of things 
that Moses wrote about Abraham through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that righteousness showed itself through his works of faith. You're blind to your works of faith, Jesus is telling these people. Abraham's works of faith showed he belonged to God, but your works show that you don't. Look at verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. See, he's saying that your family tree is bearing fruit here and you don't even see it. If you truly were the spiritual children of Abraham, there would be spiritual fruit in your life. You would be doing the works that he did. Instead, you want to kill me. And that demonstrates that you're the, what your true fruit really is. Abraham's works of faith show that he belonged to God. Your works show that you don't. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.26 kind of parallels with verse 41. Jesus says in verse 41, You were doing the works your father did. Why is this true? 2 Timothy 2.26 describes these people to a T. They are in the snare of the devil and are being captured by him to do his will. Jesus is telling them, your works show that you belong to your father, the devil, and that you're captured by him to do his will. Ephesians 2.2 helps us to understand too. These people in the text, sadly, are following the prince of the power of the air. Jesus is saying, your works show that you are following the prince of the power of the air. Finally, and this is... Now, Jesus has not been holding back. He's been telling them who their father really is. This is where I really... This is why... And I want to pause and just bring back again what I talked about last week. Lost people are unwilling, unfriendly, and unable. And I mentioned how their inability is because they're unwilling and unfriendly. So there's a, there's a human aspect to it. But the spiritual aspect of it is this. They are bound by Satan. So there, there's multiple explanations uh, that fit together. Multiple, easier to say. Easier to think than say. Multiple perspectives from which to look at this and and not to discredit one another, but they fit together. These are pieces that come together. Jesus is telling them, you are bound by Satan. He's he's your father. You're, You're part of his family. You're doing the works your father did. Verse 42, Jesus says, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do what He says. Now do you think if Jesus had come out and said, You are all sons of Satan. How that would have gone? Woo-wee. Last night... There was an MMA fight that was over pretty quick. This might have been over pretty quick too, you know, except it wasn't Jesus' time. 
But if you continue to read in the book of John, these people get mad enough that they're ready to stone Jesus. In fact, look at the end of the chapter. You, you, Jesus tells them, Satan is your father, you're bound by him, you're part of his family, you do his will. They don't like that. Because they're bound by Satan. This is one of the most important things. When we consider lostness around us, I think we can understand about how Adam's fall affected everyone. We can understand spiritual deadness. We can understand that people are unwilling, unable, unfriendly toward Christ. We can understand being bound uh, by Satan, being part of his family to do his will. But they're blind to the Savior. All of this that I've just mentioned produces a blindness to who Jesus really is. And Jesus himself says it again, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. What is Jesus trying to say? He's saying that back in Genesis 3, he said that there's going to be a seed from the woman, the promised one, who's going to come and and you're going to bruise his head, serpent. Bruise his heel, serpent, but he will bruise your head. He will crush your head. And so all throughout the Old Testament, here are the people of God waiting for that one person. Is it Abraham? No, not him. Is it Moses? No, not him. Is it David? No, not him. But they all pointed to the one that was to come, and it was Jesus. And Jesus came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. I'm the one that Old Testament is about, and I'm here, and you want to kill me. You are absolutely, utterly blind to who I am. Now, does that not cause us to stop and think how hard it is for a person to be saved? God must do a work in their lives before they're saved, and we must pray that lost people have the power of Satan broken and that their eyes would be enlightened to see who Jesus really is, that they might find salvation in Him. Jesus saying, you're blind to who I am. I am the truth, but you don't love me. I'm the truth, but you don't love me. And furthermore, He says, I tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. You're utterly blind to who I am. So why are people unable to love Christ, to know Christ, to obey Christ, to seek after Him? They're blind to who He is. It goes against all that they want for their lives. Here's what the crazy thing is to me. These are people who know they're, they're supposed to be looking for the one who's going to come and save them. And they missed it. They missed it. How many of you have ever read the book or even heard of the book, This Present Darkness? Anyone? Okay. A few of you. Written in 1986 by, uh, or released in 1986 by Frank Peretti. 
really interesting book. It's based on Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the earthly forces of this present darkness. I think I I don't know that I've um, said it completely. But that's where it comes from, the title of the book, This Present Darkness. It's interesting because it's, it's, a, it's fiction. It's about the town of Ashton. And it sort of takes um, sort of a revelation kind of look at this town, kind of pulls back the curtain so you can see what's going on in the heavenlies, that there's spiritual warfare going on. And it's, it's fascinating. I don't know that I would agree with every. I read it a long time ago, and I don't know that I would agree with everything now, but there's parts about that that are so undeniably true uh, because they're scriptural. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the earthly forces of this present darkness. That is absolutely true. And there's a point, uh, that all throughout this book, it, it talks uh, about, there's characters that you see the spiritual warfare taking place. And it's not just, you get, you're privy to their thoughts, but you're also privy to the spiritual, spiritual realm. There was a point. Well, before I go any further, it really describes, it, it talks about the church. And it shows what's going on both inside the church, among the people, the spiritual warfare there. But it also talks about what's going on outside the church. And I remember this one point, and I, I hope I'm relaying this right. But there was a young man who was um, just lost, just so wayward, affected by drugs. And, of course, at that time, I think it was that hard rock music, you know. Play it backwards and you're Satan's son now. At any rate, um, not, not to be flippant about it all, but there was a point when this young man understood he was caught in sin and the only one who could release him from that sin was Jesus. It's a beautiful scene because the description of the heavenlies is there's the physical part is here's this young man down on his knees pouring his heart out to the Savior saying, Jesus, save me. And then here's these, there's no longer any demons exercising influence over him. There are these angels and they are face down. Their swords laid down, pointed to Jesus who has come and removed this young man's blind, blindness and has removed his being bound to Satan. It makes us think when, when the sun sets you free, you are free in So I want to tell you this morning, lost people, lost person, if you're here today, if you're listening today, I hope that the Spirit, I pray that the Spirit has helped you to understand and see where you you may be bound by half-truths and blind to the lies, that you might be bound by sin and blind to your own lostness, that you're bound by some sort of dead belief that you're thinking... Your thinking is enough for you. But you're blind to what righteousness really requires in works of faith. That you're bound by Satan and therefore you're blind to the Savior. The only way that you will find freedom is to turn from your sin and come to Jesus. So if this describes you, the Savior's waiting. He is waiting for you to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. There's some sad truth in it about people.
people who think they're saved, but they're actually lost. Maybe there are some here, Lord, that, that fit that bill. I don't know. You do. But only you, Lord, can penetrate hardened hearts. So I pray that you do that. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't realize yet their true need for Christ, I pray that you'd remove the blinders, that you'd break the chains, that you'd do a work in their heart, that they might see that they need to repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, There is None Like You. And if you need to make a decision at this point in the service, please come forward at this time. Let's sing together. scripture. You represented it well, but I'm still not quite sure. I think I'm going to go test the world. What we just sang about is absolutely true. You could search all eternity long and find no one like Jesus Christ. Before we leave today, just a few um, announce, well, prayer updates. Please pray for Ed Braun. Um, He's had some issues here lately with falling and uh, a couple different times. It's been a scare. So please pray for Ed. I think today's Ed's birthday. Not sure how old he is. But pray for Ed Braun. Um, are there any other folks that you know right offhand, maybe we, we're not aware about, or someone you want to give us an update on? Oh, Pam Garcia's got pneumonia? Okay, we need to pray for Pam. Any others before we are dismissed? Okay, I'm going to say a quick word of prayer for these two. Um, and then also I'm going to pray for lunch. Hope you're able to stay for lunch. Just go right out the door to the left. Everyone's welcome. Um, If it's your first time, um, we are glad to have you. Please come join us. Uh, And then we'll say the Great Commission together and be dismissed. Uh, Father, we do lift up Ed and Pam and, Lord, just nagging things in both of their lives that um, are keeping them from living life to the fullest. Uh, We pray that you'd strengthen Ed in his body. Um, Lord, give him an appetite that he might eat and have the strength that he needs. I pray for Geneva as she cares for him, and I pray uh, for all of those who minister to him. I pray, Lord, for wisdom for their family. Also, Lord, we pray for Pam Garcia, that your hand of power would be on her, that you would heal her of this pneumonia, uh, that uh, she could get rest and strength and be healed. Father, we uh, just thank you so much for the food that we're about to receive. We pray that you'd bless the food, bless the funds that are raised, and bless our fellowship. Lord, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You 